1: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Uh, We are uh, on the air uh, thanks to Alan Dempsey and uh, Andrew Herdliska does our producing. Uh, He gets the guests lined up, and the first guest is Anthony Griffith. He's in Hollywood, California, successful stand-up comedian for more than 30 years.
2: Yeah.
1: And and the book is called Behind the Laughter. Uh Anthony yes, sir. great to have you on the air. How how are you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing great. I'm doing great, sir. Uh, you, I have a question. How many so how many kids have you adopted now?
1: Well, Anthony, we have 19 children. 14 of them were adopted from uh, for, yes. foreign countries. Uh, wow. They're, they're they're all adults now. Uh her yeah. oldest child is 47, the youngest is 33, so they're all out on their own. And okay. uh we're uh, we're now deeply immersed in the next generation called grandchildren.
2: Yeah. And uh, yeah.
1: that that's it that's an interesting experience. <laughs> now, Anth- yeah. Anthony, I want you to go back uh growing up on the south side of Chicago. Uh yeah. tell me how your childhood prepared you to be a comedian, father, and husband?
2: Well, you know, uh, in Chicago, uh, first of all, it uh, was a, a birthplace of many uh, bas- basketball players. Yes. Being the VP of uh, the Atlanta Magic. So a lot of guys who were in, in in high school, which made it easy for me to know that, uh, that would not be my professional calling. <laughs> because they let me know right away that, um, for me to seek another avenue. Um, but in Chicago, uh, I played, uh, basketball. Uh, I wanted to be a hockey player. I never mastered how to skate backwards. So that was ended before I even started. And um, I just grew up around a lot of different ethnic groups. Um, my mom was a die, diehard Christian, uh, so and, and, and she allowed me to dream and and um, do anything I wanted to do. And um, so she was the catalyst for that. And there, so I became, I wanted to be uh, an escape artist like the next Houdini. And lo and behold, my mom for Christmas one one Christmas bought me a a a a a straight jacket, which was um, it just it warmed my heart. It brought tears to my eyes. Um, but that's the type of mom she was. She was gold to the top and beyond. And from that, um, she loved to laugh, and I loved to laugh because she loved to laugh. And, while in college, I I thought I would try comedy just to put, just to pass the time, and um, I I did, and I, I and thirty years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah.
1: Uh, tell me about uh, this nickname that you had, the comedian who didn't cuss. Uh, yeah. How were you able it's, to find a style that was uniquely yours?
2: Well, because uh I was sort of forced to. Um I could not cuss. There was no cussing in the house. I don't think uh I heard my parents ever cuss. Um even to their uh, up until their transition to glory. Um so I could never cuss. I I could I not even say I think I said um but the UTT one uh, when I was a teenager and my mom gave me a death look, uh, so, so I had to learn a way to make people laugh because people thought I was joking. Uh, I was being goofy by not cussing, uh, but it was because I was terrified that my mom would show up with her belt strapped <laughs> and, and embarrass me. <clears throat> so, uh. I I I I bow never to cuss because of that. Yeah, yeah. It was truly out of fear. Yeah.
1: Anthony, I want you to tell us about uh, your career starting uh, just when comedy was exploding in popularity across the country. So, what was the energy and atmosphere like at comedy clubs, and I guess particularly in Chicago back in the '80s? What was that like?
2: Oh, it was it was great. I mean, it was um where I started uh people would would be sitting on the floor uh you didn't have a lot of um uh, promotion needed because everyone was doing comedy there were comedy comedy at uh comedy clubs at, at bars at, at uh at um, at, um bowling alleys restaurants everywhere there was a comedy comedy and uh, and it was great for me because growing up in Chicago, on the left side was uh, Wisconsin, and on the other side was Michigan. So it was a great place to learn your craft and find out who you were and just have fun in the process. And it was, it was um, beautiful. And you, you didn't make any money in the beginning, and then you became a... Um, non-paying regular and you moved up to two dollars and you you just thought you had the world you were just as big as eddie murphy back then and you moved up to two dollars to five dollars to 750 and uh you maxed out at ten dollars and uh but it was a great time in the comedy world during that time yeah
1: Anthony Bernie Mack was one of your best friends in the business. Uh, tell us how you yes. met what was it like working with him?
2: Well, you know Bernie and i we worked uh, we did a lot of working just uh in the in Chicago the circuit and um we were two different uh styles he he definitely could cut. uh we were like, if he, if he if we were jazz musicians, he would be Louis Armstrong. He had just that much energy that you knew Bernie Mac was uh, in the room. I was more like Charlie Parker. Yeah. Um, you had to listen to me. Uh, and if you listened, um, you would laugh. But, you know, during that time, uh, we would be in places where... Uh, people were drinking, and they were smoking, and and uh, there were other acts. They were uh, doing everything different than here's a young man who uh, is telling jokes and not cussing. It was the opposite of what the room was. But uh, Bernie and I, because of us doing it, uh, we became friends and stayed in touch with that even when he succeeded, um, he always reached back and, and and asked about me and made sure that when he was doing movies and and TV shows and he was in town in Hollywood that we would break uh, bread and you would see how I, I and the family were doing. So it was a great friendship. Yeah. Uh,
1: I want you to tell us about traveling and you write about this. You talk about the conditions yep. of the places that you stayed in and how you were treated in your travels. Uh, can you tell us more about that?
2: Well, uh, um, the comedy, uh, club, the comedy condo, uh, I hope I can use the word to <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, people don't realize that, um, behind the scenes, uh, you had you had comedy uh, uh, work, apartments or condos that um that they put out for comics to stay, but they weren't good. They were they were trashy, they were um it, it it just was to to perform on the road uh, took a lot of uh heart took a lot of uh um, what do you call it when you're talking about uh, fortitude? Because um, uh, the places that they had us stay, uh, it definitely made you decide uh, I'm going to do this or this. I, it, it, this doesn't work for me, and you're away from your family. And I took my my fan, my family once on the road, and my wife just she didn't like it, and, I didn't like it, and I just had to just hey, to uh, have my family stay at home. And I, if it's going to be miserable, I'd rather be miserable um, myself.
1: Anthony Griffith, our guest. His book, Behind the Laughter, Anthony joins us from Hollywood, California. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Anthony Griffith is with us from Hollywood, the book Behind the Laughter. Anthony, tell us, uh, when you won the Johnny Walker Comedy Competition, uh, what did that mean to your career?
2: Um, It was a a boost because um, uh, at the time, uh, the big comedy club uh, was uh, the improv, and they were having a talent show called the Johnny Walker talent show and that and the winner uh get weeks of work in the improv and um you get to uh go out to Hollywood and perform for the the um the other um, winners uh, national winners to see who was the ultimate winner and I did win and going into uh, Hollywood, I eventually got a chance to uh, partake in Star Search. Uh, for those who remember Star Search, and I, I was on Star Search and I was on, uh, I think, eight times. And, and at that time, I had no money. I was broke. And if they ever show the show from Star Search on YouTube... Uh, You would see that I had three shirts that rotated, um, and I would just rotate because uh, in Star Says, you performed, and if you won in the morning, you performed in the evening, and if you won in the evening, you performed in the morning. So I I just had to keep rotating my shirt until I lost, Mm -hmm. and I had two uh, slacks. One to fly in, and one to perform in. So it was—it was all very uh, fun and exciting and exciting, frightening, frightening at the same time. Yeah,
1: Anthony, uh, you write a good bit about your daughter Brittany in this book. Uh, tell, yes. tell us about her and where she fits in this whole story.
2: Well, she was. She was. Um, uh I like to consider this book a love story it because it's definitely uh Brittany was uh the catalyst for this story um she she had a life of three years but uh she's my uh one and only child and um, uh she's like my my little buddy uh, I took her on the uh, I took her to comedy clubs. The white staff, they would watch her as I perform my on, the, on stage. Or sometimes I would take her up uh, up on stage, and she was my little buddy. Um, she was cool, and uh, and it was cool to watch her grow. And uh, she was—I think she was the one component of of me being a love story. A uh, love story with me and my wife, a love story of uh, our relationship with our daughter, and a love story of um, when she passed. Uh, the comforting um, that God uh, had had with us as we went through uh, that uh, trial in our life. Yeah,
1: my guest, and he's a. Fascinating person. His name is Anthony Griffith, stand-up comedian for more than 30 years. Where do you get your material, Anthony? Where does it come from?
2: Uh, it comes from life. You know, there's a lot of dysfunction in in the world. And uh, and and, and I, I have a joke that uh, I travel, and I, I have crazy people in my family, but I realize that as I travel, everybody has crazy people in their family and if you can't find the person who's crazy in your family it's probably you
0: <laughs> and um
2: and um yeah so my humor just really comes from uh observation and uh life and meeting and talking to people and uh yeah yeah
1: I want you to tell me about Johnny Carson. What did you learn about him uh, with your time on The Tonight Show?
2: You know, it was it was it was it was, it was nerve-wracking in the sense that here's a, a man that was at the top. And at that time, The Tonight Show was um, I think 18, to 20 million people would watch it at night. And so it was like performing for your father. Um, uh, so I performed. I, to be honest, I did not know uh, anything as far as my show. When it was over, you could, um, I could not remember it because I was so nervous. I was trying my best not to make, make a mistake. But um, what was real cool about uh, my first meeting with the Afterwards, Johnny saw me in the parking lot, and he called me over, and just we had an intimate talk, and he said, hey, you're very funny, and I'm going to ask you back, so start preparing for your next show. Hmm. And that that was uh, something that he shared with me, that, um, so uh, my manager and agent did not even know that I was coming. Coming back, but um, he was he was that type that uh, he was as big as he was was as uh, intimate and caring that he was also. Yeah.
1: By the way, did you ever watch a video of that time with Carson? How do you think you did?
2: Um, I I look back. Uh, I think th- uh, uh, thirty five years later, and I was like, uh, I I was funny. I was I was amazed that I I was funny and as nervous as I was. She couldn't tell I was I was uh, nervous, but um, yeah, I would say I was funny because they show it now. uh, I think they're on YouTube, and uh, I was funny. Yeah.
1: Tell me about your wife, Bridget.
2: She is the she's the sheriff. She's the. uh it's uh she's uh you know you you wonder what's the difference between Catholic education and public school and she's she she's Catholic she reads constantly she reads novels constantly she's always asking when we go to a movie did you read that book and i I will go um Honestly, no, and um, but she's my rock of Gibraltar. She uh, she protects me. Uh, she got she protects me. She's like the that 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 mother, mother world that um, she will lay down her life for me. And uh, she we've been rolling together for well, this would be thirty three 33 years of marriage, and um, it was so funny to read. Uh, reading parts of the book that I did not know about her that um, she had such a disdain for me <laughs> when we first met uh, she she just really did not like me at all uh, because she thought I was a womanizer and uh, because I was always tired coming to work because we were co-workers but she had no idea that at that time I was I was going to school, I was working and I was um out late um starting my stand-up career. But um, yeah, she's she's um I'm I'm blessed that um that uh we are together and we've been together for so long. Yeah.
1: Anthony Griffith is our guest. Anthony, what do you want readers to take from this book Behind the Laughter?
2: Um, a couple of things that uh, life is not promised. The next day is not promised. Uh, we, we sometimes think that, um, uh, well, if I, uh, I'll get to something. If I love somebody, uh, I'll tell them uh, down the line. But uh, you don't know. Today might be the last day that you see that loved one. So you should. Um, If you love them, let them know. They're not as You can text uh, people. You can email people. You can just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. And it's a book of uh, uh, love. Um, uh, uh, You're you're never alone Uh, in in regards to uh, God's relationship with you and with the loved one and uh, a comfort, a book of comfort. If uh, you lose someone that you lost, uh, be it a family member or a friend, um, that um, you can recover. And uh, with uh, community, community is very important. And it's and it's a fun book because it does tell you about uh, Hollywood, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, and the life on the road is an entertainer, so I think uh, people would like that book. Anthony. vote yes, as, as, as they say in commercial. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, I, I approve. I approve this message.
1: Oh, that's yes. great. Right. Uh... <laughs> What advice do you have for other parents whose children might be battling diseases or uh, those uh, parents who have lost a child what what do you tell them
2: um, that uh, hey you know uh, it, 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 there is a part that uh, is is hurtful but you can eventually eventually with help with uh, community with God uh, that you're you can comfort others because of what you've went through, and um I think that's that's very important that you you are not going through this alone. you might think you are, but um and I would suggest that you don't go it alone you you definitely use your community to to um uh, share and to lean on um other people's shoulders, and, and, and you, you will become stronger once you go through the storm, that um, yeah, it is a storm, but uh, uh, please do not go through it by yourself, yeah. And, and remember that child, uh, you know, we we talk about Brittany every day, um, we have pictures of her uh, in the house, and uh all the family members remember uh, Brittany because she was the first grandchild, and uh yeah, so uh, I, I, i'm I'm so fortunate and blessed that God gave me uh, Brittany for three years. and uh yeah
1: where does the tell me this, Anthony, where does the power of God fit into your story?
2: Um, well, because my mom uh, was a diehard Christian, um, she introduced introduced us to church. Uh, you know, if you didn't go to church on Sunday, uh, you didn't get to go out. You didn't get to watch TV. Uh, so, um, and I think uh, by introducing us to to God early, uh, and then. As I became an adult, I became a uh, Sunday school teacher. Really? For the youth and for the teenagers and preteens. And and so God has guided me um, all this time. And I, too, now have some um, disability uh, with um, multiple sclerosis, but because... uh, I know God is with me, um, that he, he guides me, protects me, that um, uh, I I know I'm not alone, and, and I feel secure in knowing that he will provide. He has provided in the past, the present, and he will provide in the future.
1: Well, Anthony, I can't thank you enough. Uh, the book is terrific. Uh, our chat has been outstanding. Uh, I have great respect and admiration for you. And uh, may God continue to bless you and use you in a mighty way. I know he will, Anthony.
3: Well, thank you very much, Sarah. Uh
1: The book Behind the Laughter, Anthony Griffith, has been our guest. Uh, we've got more after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word And, of course, that's in Orlando, Florida. Uh, We'll be right back. Anthony Griffith, our guest in that first segment, uh, he's in Hollywood, California, his book, Behind the Laughter. And we stay right in uh, California. Yorba Linda in Orange County. J.P. Moreland is there, distinguished professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology and director of Edo's Christian Center, author of Finding Quiet. J.P., welcome. How
3: are you? It is great to be with you. Thank you for having me on your show, Pat. In
1: the introduction, it's called My Descent into an Abyss of Anxiety and Depression. Uh, can you fill us in on that story, JP?
3: Yeah, I was born with a genetic predisposition towards anxiety. Uh, my All my aunts and uncles and my mom uh, <laughs> took medication. Uh, my cousins are have anxiety issues on that side of the family, and I inherited that. So my whole life, I, I, I leaned toward anxiety, but it was never something that made me uh, dysfunctional until uh, about the end of May of 2003, uh, where I had had a year of horrible stress. And uh, at the end of the school year, I had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And I was completely uh, racked with panic attacks and overwhelming anxiety for seven months. Uh, I, I was able to finally deal with it, and it, for ten years I was okay again. But then in 2013, it happened again after another very hard year at school, and I had a five-month uh, uh, nervous breakdown where I, I was not able to teach. I had to quit my teaching, and uh, so what I did briefly is I, I committed myself with the Lord's help to, that this would never happen again, and I did a ton of research, Pat, on, on anxiety and depression, from Christian books and, and for, from psychology, and I boiled it down uh, into a set of practices and other information that, that was a tremendous help to me. And I, thank God, by doing these things, have uh, for the last three years been a, a, a really different person than my family's noticed and so on. So that's the story in a nutshell. How
1: common uh, in the world of christian people is anxiety and depression how common is it
3: it's overwhelming really? um we are uh we are in a day when um there are probably 20% of the population uh, will have a a severe episode of anxiety in the in 12 months mm. and the church is uh, the same anxiety has now become the number one mental health disorder in the United States, and then depression is is along with it. So um, the statistics are also that people in the Church uh, are facing severe anxiety, the depression, and many times they feel ashamed of it. Mm. And um, uh, one of the things I try to do in the book is to show that this, this is not sin, Um, It it could be the result of sin in some occasions, but generally speaking, anxiety is really the result of us being fallen beings. And one of the ways that the fall manifests itself is that our bodies are messed up. Our brains don't work right. uh, Our heart muscles don't. And so we can get anxiety uh, because we're just very vulnerable, broken people.
1: How do you describe anxiety? What does that mean?
3: Well, anxiety is a certain kind of feeling that is associated with worry and fear, although anxiety is different than worry and fear in that it is uh, a more intense uh, emotion. Um, It Sometimes has electricity that goes through your body if it's very severe, and it's a it's a feeling of being highly adrenalized and on alert uh, about something that that you have trouble getting off your mind.
1: What's the difference between anxiety and depression?
3: Good question. Uh, depression is a is a state uh, where you feel hopeless. Um, You, you, you lose your interest in, in things that used to interest you could be sports. It could be whatever. Um, And uh, you, you feel down and discouraged. And uh, you know, what's the point? What's the point?
2: Mm.
3: And uh, so Uh, Doing, getting up and doing things can be an effort, Um, might be an effort to go to work. So those are the differences. And interestingly, in some cases, anxiety can cause depression, and in some cases, depression causes anxiety. So they often go together, not always, but uh, they often do.
1: Where does the term mental illness fit in with this discussion?
3: Well... I think Christians need to change the way they think about anxiety and depression. And in my book, I I explain that um, the teachings of Scripture, the moral teachings of Scripture, are really given to us for our flourishing and for our achievement of shalom, which is a general sense of peace and well-being so that the teachings of, of of the bible aren't just these arbitrary commands that a you know a gray bearded guy in the sky gave us that just because he's sour and mean no god gave uh, the teachings of the word for us to flourish because he knows how we're made by, how to work he made us and he knows what teachings will make us flourish. And so what God wants for us is to be, quote-unquote, healthy. And by that I mean uh, mentally and spiritually, uh, psychologically um, healthy, uh, and, and even physically healthy, but that's a little bit of a different issue. But mental health, using the term mental health, then, uh, is an is a absolutely appropriate biblical way of describing what God wants for us and why he has taught the things he has in Scripture so that we can move toward mental health, or as the Bible would put it, uh, becoming like Christ or flourishing and having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So anxiety and depression show that there is a lack of mental health And what we need to do is not be ashamed of that and beat ourselves up. What we need to do is to find ways to get better and to get rid of it and to achieve more flourishing and shalom, or as the medical profession would use the word, mental health. And in the book I give some fresh new ideas that I think people probably have not heard of before, that have really changed my own life, and they work, and uh, they'll be. They'll. I think they're going to be extremely helpful.
1: JP JP Excuse me. JP Moreland, one of the leading evangelical thinkers of our day, has a new book out with Zondervan, "Finding Quiet," and the subtitle: "My Story of Overcoming Anxiety and the Practices That Brought Peace." Uh, I want you to talk about these practices that brought peace. What, what does that mean? What happened?
3: Well, I realized, uh, as the Bible says, that um, anxiety, in my opinion, is largely a habit. Uh, it's not entirely, but it's a habit that we have ingrained in our brains and our heart muscle and our nervous system. Now, the Bible, in Romans 6, talks about presenting the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. And what he means by that is that we take certain members of our body because sin dwells in the body. Paul's clear about that flesh is in the body, uh, and flesh is the evil parts of uh, our body. Our bodies are good, but flesh isn't. And so to get rid of that, that flesh is ingrained in our, in our bodies like muscle memory. And so uh, we have uh, habits, and our habits are things that we feel or think or do without choosing to do so. And so I realized that I was triggered to anxiety because I had repeatedly uh, engaged in things that grooved that habit in my brain and uh, my heart muscle, and if I was going to get rid of it, um, besides uh, I, I believe in medication, and I, I mention that in the book and give a biblical basis for it, but besides that, I needed to start engaging in practices. Uh, like learning to play golf or speak Spanish or whatever, these practices would be hard to do in the early stages and wouldn't be of much use. But after two two and a half months of doing these practices, guess what? my My body naturally triggered peace and joy instead of triggering anxiety and depression. And it became part of my nature. And so that is the background for why these practices work. And they are things to do repeatedly, like Paul mentions, in presenting your members to God over and over and over again to form new habits and to get rid of flesh or bad habits.
1: Uh, I want you to explain to us uh, an area where you write. It's called uh, Spiritual and Psychological Tools for defeating anxiety and depression. Can you explain them to us?
3: Yes, it's it's hard for me to go over all of them, Sure, but I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the things that has been utterly helpful to me has been something that's called the four-step solution. And the problem is that we engage in self-talk all throughout the day. And we are often unaware of the self-talk because it's kind of flying under the radar and it's subconscious. We say things to us like, man, man the future is going to be terrible. Um, your, your kid is not going to get in college or all all kinds of terrifying things. Mm-hmm. You're a loser. You always do that. You embarrassed yourself in the meeting the other day. So we, we engage in the self-talk and we end up anxious or depressed and wonder why. And it's because we've been telling ourselves things because we're in the habit of doing that. And so our brains are grooved. Uh, there are literally ruts that have been formed in our brains uh, that trigger negative self-talk. And what we have to do is to do a practice that will ungroove those negative grooves and change your brain structure it's called neuroplasticity. You can actually change your brain by changing the way you think. Uh, and so we want to get rid of those grooves and replace them with peace grooves and joy grooves so that we're naturally triggered to peaceful and joyful and confident and safe self-talk. So step one is you have to ask the Spirit of God to help you recognize when these thoughts come through your subconscious mind, and when you spot one of them, you, you you label it as a mere, hey, you're nothing but a brain message, you're a bad habit, you've got no truth to you, I'm going to ignore you. And then the second step mm. is that there are ten thought distorters I list. I mean, mine is catastrophizing the future, you know, I'm good at that. I, oh, uh, What if this happens, oh my gosh, it's going to be horrible. So you label your your self-talk, and then the next step is crucial. You don't argue with it and, and get down in the mud and try and reason why it's not going to happen, because that just digs the groove deeper. Instead, you turn away from it, and you focus your attention on something that will get you into flow. And that flow means that you get wrapped up in it so much you lose track of time. It could be reading a novel— it could be playing a computer game. It could be reading a text of Scripture. It doesn't have to be spiritual. It could be anything. But it takes your mind away from this amusing and ruminating over this negative self-talk.
1: That's powerful. My guest, and we got another segment with him, is J.P. Moreland. He's out in Orange County, California. The book is called Finding Quiet, Uh, I'm Pat Williams, and every weekend we gather here for the Saturday Power Hour. It's on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We'll be right back. Dr. J.P. Moreland is with us from California. The book, Finding Quiet, it's really a fascinating topic. And uh, Dr. Moreland is uh, writing about my story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace. Uh, You do a segment on brain and heart tools for defeating anxiety and depression. Uh, Where does the heart fit in here? Why why the heart?
3: That's such a great point, a question. Um, Let me return to Romans 6. Paul says that we are to present the members of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness and not as instruments of uh, unrighteousness. Now... Uh, members of our body are our organs, our stomach, our lungs, our lips, our eyes, and so on. To present them to God means to engage in a habit forming practice that you do over and over and over again until that part of your body, uh, the grooves that are triggered to think or act contrary to the kingdom are replaced with grooves that, are, that will automatically trigger a habit that's in, in accord with the Kingdom. Now, in, when it comes to anxiety and depression, the two key organs to present to God are the brain and the heart muscle, and I'll tell you why the heart muscle in a second, but that just means that you have to take, engage in a practice with those members of your body over and over again, to get rid of the, the negative fear and anxiety and depression habits that are ingrooved in your heart muscle and brain, and replace them with peaceful uh, grooves and habits. The heart muscle is important because, uh, as the ancients knew, uh, uh, it was a center of awareness of other people and of actually of moral value. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis writes a book where he says, we produce today men without chests. And he meant by that that we produce men that don't, don't have an awareness of right and wrong. So that the ancients believed that the heart muscle was literally a center of intuition about, is that person angry at me or whatever? And it was a sense of intuition about, the good life and goodness and, and badness. Science has discovered they were right because they have discovered that the heart muscle has more neurons in it than many of the subsections of the brain. Um, the, the, the brain sends out uh, an electromagnetic field, uh, and the heart sends one out that is something like 500 times stronger than the one the brain sends out. Now, what all this means scientifically is that your heart, as one scientist put it, quote-unquote, thinks for itself. Now, the heart doesn't literally think, but what what happens is the soul uses both the brain and the heart muscle to be aware of reality, and the, the heart muscle can contain neurons that are grooved to automatically trigger anxiety and fear and discouragement and worry. And what what I do in the book is I I have a practice where you can present your heart muscle to God as an instrument of righteousness by repeatedly engaging in, in this scientifically and medically discovered practice called the heart math solution. It's very simple to do, but uh, it will it will literally give you the power to be in a situation where you would normally get anxious, and you can go there and do this exercise uh, in in public, and you will have peace in two to three minutes. Now, when you first try, start doing it, Pat, it takes a long time because you're not good at it. But once you become good at it, it becomes literally a part of your character. And uh, that's why the heart muscle is so, so important.
1: JP, I'm uh, listening with interest. Uh, You talk about grooves. Well, it takes me back to the dining room table as a kid growing up. Uh, My mother was my tutor. And boy, I I struggled with math. Uh, never could figure out eight plus seven or seven plus eight, and I can still hear my mother uh, with her with her index finger. You know, I I just want grooves to go into your brain, grooves. And I, you know, and that was her example. Uh, but apparently, uh, our brain does have grooves. Was my mother right?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ah. And um, <laughs> <you bet. clears throat> and and what what. Neuroscientists say is that a groove is a set of neurons that have uh, electrically fired together so repeatedly that they're now kind of a unit that, that are tied together, and they're a groove. And they will automatically trigger the thought or the feeling or whatever it might be that you have habitually done over and over again. So that you're, what we do, if by repeated activity, is we form a habit, and that habit is, is grooves in our muscle memory, in our body. And I am saying that some of those grooves trigger anxiety and depression and discouragement and fear, and to get rid of them, it's not enough just to pray. You have to do what Paul says in Romans, you have to present those organs to God by repeated practices that get rid of the bad grooves and literally change your character. Uh, your character is, is just your habits. It's the sum total of what your habits are. And you replace that with good grooves that automatically form the habit of triggering peaceful and joyful feelings instead of anxious and depressive ones, and your mother was. Just, I mean, she was just dead on on when she said that.
1: Ah, <clears throat> uh, thank you. Uh, I I now have extra respect for my mom. <laughs> All right, well, a, a closing a closing one: suffering, healing, and disappointment with God. Yes. Uh, where does that fit into our discussion, JP?
3: Well, I believe I, I believe in supernatural healing. I've seen it. And uh, so I believe that it's a legitimate thing to go to God and uh, or ask him to heal you of anxiety and depression, or, or go to somebody at the church to lay hands on you and pray for you for that. I'm a firm believer in that. But a lot of times, God does not respond. And uh, I, I remember being so disappointed with God, because I was suffering terribly, uh, every day, and and God's His, his presence was distant. Uh, he didn't answer. And um, what, what what do you do in that case? Well, I in my last chapter, I I, I point out that uh, about just less than thirty percent of the Psalms are lament psalms. That means they're psalms that are complaining against God for Him forgetting his covenant, not keeping his promises, not seeming to be aware of or care about his people's suffering. And this is their hymn book. And uh, their hymn book is saying, what are you doing up there? You, know, you seem to be, you seem to have gone asleep on us. And uh, what that does is it says that it's all perfectly okay to cry out to God and to tell him how you're feeling. God, I'm angry, because you're not don't seem to be doing anything, and I need your help. Now, God knows it anyway, and, and it's a biblically appropriate thing to follow the Lament Psalms and tell God what's on your mind, whether it's negative or positive. And that will help you heal and get to a point where you you no longer hold those thoughts and feelings because they're they're insane, God knows what he's doing, but still we don't feel that way. So uh, we, we, we start by, by expressing our honest feelings to God, including complaining if that's how we feel.
1: Well, <clears throat> it's been a fascinating visit, J.P. J.P. Moreland, author of Finding Quiet. Thanks a million, J.P. All the best to you.
3: Uh, you too, and it's been great being with you, Pat.
1: Uh, we have a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Folks, thanks for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, uh, comedian Anthony Griffith was with us, talking about uh, issues in his life in his book Behind the Laughter. And then J.P. Moreland, uh, in a fascinating discussion about his book, Finding Quiet, uh, shared with us from uh, his spot, his home in Yorba, Linda, California. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, check out my most recent book. It's called Character Carved in Stone. It's about a trip I made to the campus at West Point and saw those 12 benches with 12 different words carved into the stone. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke coach, write the, wrote the forward. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, And we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Just a reminder, you're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando